0: Well, if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Luke chapter 11. Uh, We're in the section of the Lord's Prayer. Luke chapter 11, we're going to read verses 1 through 4. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation let's pray father i ask that through these simple verses here that we would glorify you that we would that our lives would be evidence of hearts that seek your glory and not our own. Father, I pray that our prayers would line up with that truth as well. Uh, Lord, I ask that uh, you would speak to us, that you would orient our lives in proper perspective that uh, we might not be selfish or self-seeking, but that we would seek to glorify you even with our prayers. Father, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, we considered uh, the beginning of the Lord's Prayer that we address God as Father in our prayers. That this idea of father has an intimate uh, idea to it, just like you would with your father. There's this personal, intimate attachment from a father to a son. But that there also is this authority. There's this uh, respect we have for our fathers. Uh So God's eminence, His closeness to us, is on display in that term. But also our reverence for Him, uh, for His transcendence. He's God, He's different than us. Uh, And so we considered, we address God as Father. This is an amazing privilege that the Christian has that were adopted into his family. Uh, We also thought about that when we pray, Jesus is not teaching us a prayer here, but he was asked, teach us how to pray. So as we come to this, this is kind of like an outline. This is how do we pray? We need to fill out the skeleton of this prayer with the flesh of our real life and heart desiring to come to God, to seek Him. And then we talked about the first request, Hallowed be your name, that your name be glorified, that God get the praise He deserves. Now, this is kind of the flavor of the prayer, Every prayer we ever pray needs to have the flavor of God that you would be glorified. You see, when Jesus is teaching us how to pray, He's actually teaching us how to live, and our prayers then become like the overflow of our life. We're to pray without ceasing to be in communication with God. Prayer is the overflow of our life and our life's purpose is to glorify God, that His name be made great. In Psalm 29, here's how the psalmist describes this. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. The idea of hallowed be your name is that your name be sanctified, that it be separate, that it be holy, that it be different from every other name. This is the God we come to in prayer. And this is the flavor of uh, of our prayers the goal of the christian's life is what paul says in second corinthians 5 9 he says so whether we are at home or away meaning alive or dead we make it our aim to please him first corinthians 10 31 he said so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do do to the glory of god Depression, people who are sad, people who are unsatisfied, often are people who are not living the way God meant them to live for his glory. When we live for our glory, our life self-destructs we feel meaningless, we feel selfish, we feel small, and yet we're made that his name be glorified. That's what we talked about last week. And this week, we're not going to get very far. We're only going to get to the phrase, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. So the charge of this message is, is to petition the Lord to reign over all of you, all of your life, and over everything. And at the beginning, I want to come back to this at the end, I want you to consider something that's been heavy on your heart or your soul. Something that maybe you've been praying about, and it's been weighing heavy, And if you were going to be honest, you would maybe even admit it makes you wonder what God is doing, that maybe somehow God has wronged you in this thing. If we're honest, we all can struggle with thinking like that. So I want you to, in your mind, think about what that is, and my goal is, that at the end of this sermon, that thing would be in the right perspective and that you would have hope in light of being able to pray about it in a way that would honor and glorify God and give you the peace you're meant to have uh, in living that way. So... What does it mean, your kingdom come? What is the kingdom of God? That would be a good question. You read about it all the time. Over 120 times in the Gospels, the kingdom of God is talked about. I think it's 28 times in the rest of the New Testament. Jesus was heavy, the kingdom of God. I would argue that so was Paul and Peter and Luke and James. In the rest of the New Testament, it just doesn't come out in the term kingdom of God, but it comes out in the phrase, Jesus is Lord. He is king. He reigns over a kingdom. So when you think about the kingdom of God, think about it as being the reign of God or the rule of God. Not so much a realm, but the reign of God. Let your reign come. Let your kingdom, let your rule come. There's two different ways we can think about the kingdom of God. We can think about it in a universal sense. For example, Psalm 103:19 says, "The Lord has established his throne in the heavens." And his kingdom rules over all. So we could say everything in the universe, God reigns over. That's his universal reign. Or Psalm 2910, the Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. So God never stops reigning Yet, this prayer says, your kingdom come, your reign come. This is not a request for the universal reign because that is already taking place. This is a petition for the redemptive reign of God. Not the universal reign, but the redemptive reign of God. The redemptive kingdom, specifically in the hearts of people, that God reign in people's hearts, that they worship him rightly. Now, this is a kingdom that's already come and is yet to be consummated. If you're a Christian, God has begun to reign in your heart. But not to the point where you're satisfied, right? So we pray, Your kingdom, your reign, come. It's a petition, it's a heart saying, God, this is my desire, this is what I want. A literal translation of this would be your kingdom. Let it happen. Let it be. Let it be full. Let it take place. Let it actually come. Have you ever felt that way about your own heart? About God's reign in your own life? Have you ever looked out into the world? Those who are lost. Those who are are in rebellion against God, those who hate God? And have you ever had a longing inside your heart that says, this is not right? It ought not be this way. And so we pray, your kingdom come. If we're going to think rightly about this request, we need to understand the rebellion of man. If we want God's kingdom to reign, then we have to understand the rebellion against His kingdom. The thing that 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 which that is not in submission to Him yet. In Romans one twenty one, here's how sin is described. For although they knew God, this is all people, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. In our sin, we don't honor God as Lord. We don't give thanks to Him. We feel ripped off and as though God is bad in wronging us often, do we not? MacArthur says, to come to Christ savingly is to forsake one's pretended autonomy. To come to Christ savingly is to forsake one's pretended autonomy from God and acknowledge that He sets the course of our lives. It is to forsake self-centered living and to replace selfishness with submission the Christian who prays your kingdom come is praying a prayer that says not my will be done. Your will be done in my life. I am not autonomous from you. You are God. You are king. Let me submit. Let me die and Give my life to you. He goes on to say, it is for the sake of self centered living and, uh, our, it is to forsake self centered living, saving faith, and to replace selfishness with submission. When you pray rightly, you pray submitted. Becoming a Christian is deciding that you're not going to be king of your own life anymore. It's a pretended autonomy. You weren't, but you quit pretending. And you say, now I'm going to submit to the king. That's what it means to be a Christian. You want to be a Christian? You want to submit. You want to die to your self-autonomy. Here's all Paul said in Ephesians 5.19. He says we should be addressing one another in psalms, in hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord, that means to the King, with all your heart, giving thanks always and for everything. Now we got to slow down when we read. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Our our lives ought to be like a song we sing to each other. Where we submit to each other because Jesus is king. When we take the role of submission. You know before he says wives submit to your husbands. He says for everyone to submit to each other out of reverence for Christ. The attitude of Christianity is dying to self and living to king. To the king, Jesus. In fact, there's two kingdoms according to the Bible. There's the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. Satan. In Colossians 1.13, we read, He's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transformed us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. He delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. In Revelation 11.15, We read, then the seventh angel blew his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and the kingdom of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. So remember, Jesus is teaching us how to pray. That means that every one of our prayers has this flavor to it hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, not my will be done, not me get my circumstances for my glory, but that he may be glorified. One more verse I want to show you in this regard. First John 3, starting in verse 2. John says, beloved, we are God's children now. He's talking to Christians. And what we will be is not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. So he's saying right now, you're still struggling with sin. But what you will be will come to fruition when Jesus shows up when Christ comes as king in the second coming, when we see him clearly for who he is, you will not sin again. And then verse 3 says, and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. So true Christians are looking forward to the kingdom to when Christ Comes and we won't sin again. Christ will reign perfectly in our hearts. And if that's our hope, then we'll purify ourselves in the meantime. If the goal is for Christ to reign in the future, in the present, we're in this battle, purifying our hearts, fighting that Christ has reign and that we die to our own selfishness and our own sin. So in that one little phrase, your kingdom come, we could spend months considering what it means that we pray like this. Jesus expresses uh, that uh, our our Jesus' whole ministry was encompassed with kingdom preaching. It was all about the kingdom of God. Even when Mary was told that she was going to give birth to Christ, she was told he'll be great and be called son of the most high. The Lord will give him, uh, give uh, to him a throne of his father, David, and he'll reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. So the prophecy to Mary that you're going to give birth began talking about how he's going to reign over the kingdom He's going to be king. Matthew 4.17 says, From that time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at her, in His person. Matthew 13.41 says, The Son of Man will send His angels, and they'll gather out of His kingdom all that causes sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let them hear. So as Jesus was preaching, he says there's going to come a day when the king comes and he'll destroy all those who don't want God to reign over their hearts. And then his people will shine with the glory of, of Christ reigning in their hearts. This is how Jesus continually talked. In fact, in Acts 1.3, after Jesus has been resurrected from the dead, he presented himself alive to them after a suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during the 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. This is what Jesus was speaking about. This was the topic of all of his preaching. The problem is, is the rebellion of man. But when Jesus shows up, there is hope that God can reign inside a human heart. A fallen, rebellious human heart can be changed. Can be a, in a process of dying and Christ reigning. And one day it can culminate where God is perfectly glorified in our lives. I want to just crystallize this idea of the kingdom a little bit more and think of three aspects of this redemptive kingdom. And then we're going to kind of work it out practically uh, in, in point two. There's three aspects to the kingdom of God. The first one is salvation. It's, uh, it's the redemptive work of God in individuals' hearts. So to pray your kingdom come is to pray for missions to be successful across the whole world. Because our number one drive for missions is not that lost people get saved because they were going to hell. That's important, but that's number two. The most important reason for missions is this. God created man to glorify him, and they're not. That tribe over there is in rebellion, and God deserves the glory that's ascribed to his name. He's worthy of praise alone, and they're worshiping idols Let's go give our lives that they might become Christians so that God might be glorified. And yes, that they might be saved from hell. Because when they're saved from hell, they will glorify God forever in heaven. And then there's this idea of sanctification. Your kingdom come means that God reigns more and more as in our lives, as we progressively grow in the sanctification process. If you're going to look at a chart of how a saved person grows, it's not like this, it's like this, but over time, there's a maturing. There's being hearts that are transformed into one degree of glory to another, into the image of Christ. The truly saved person has a greater and greater reign and a battle, a fierce battle against their own selfishness and living for their own glory. I'll give you an example of this, Romans fourteen seventeen. Paul says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. Whether you eat this food or that food, that's not what the kingdom of God is about. But he says this is what it's about. But of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is not of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's the sanctification process as the Holy Spirit's inside us. In 1 Peter 3 Peter said, but in your hearts honor Christ as the Lord Lord is holy. Another way of saying that, in your hearts honor Christ as king and Lord that he be separate and alone ruler of your heart. The NASB says, in your hearts sanctify Christ as Lord. And then a few verses down in chapter 4, he says, since therefore Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. You might think, well, I don't want to die to myself. I don't want to die to my selfishness. I don't want to let down my selfish reign in my life. But he says, look at Christ. He suffered in the flesh. Arm yourself with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live, this is the key, for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. So Christ suffered in the flesh so that we can live the rest of our time no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. And then he goes on to say, for time... uh, For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles do, living in sensuality and passions and drunkenness and orgies and drinking parties and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they're surprised when you don't join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. So when you live asking God to reign in your heart, the world says, that's weird. And they malign you for it, but then he says, but they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Christ is coming. His kingdom is coming. Set apart Christ as Lord in your life. Pray saying, God, help me die to the reign, my selfish reign. My will be done. I praise God for death that's happened in my heart over the last five years, when I discovered that this is what God wants to do. So, what Jesus meant when he says, Anyone who wants to follow me, take up his cross, deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. You save your life, you'll lose it. You lose your life, you'll find it. Through biblical counseling, God has shown me my selfishness to some degree. I have so much further to go. But my prayer, every prayer, ought to be more death to me, more reign of Christ and his kingdom in my life. Finally, the third um uh, way we can think about the kingdom of God is the culmination, the second coming. You know, the end of the scriptures, Revelation 22, 20 says, He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. And we say, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The culmination of every good thing for us. Do you realize we get to live as Christians? In, with bodies that will never die, and with fullness of joy in the presence of God, with pleasures forevermore, with God's people worshiping perfectly God. This is what's in front of us. And it's forever. No more fear of death. We can't fathom what a human life what one day without sin would look like without a selfish thought with perfect worship and yet this sits in front of us and so Jesus says surely I am coming and we all cry out we ought to in every prayer bring it lord your let your kingdom be consummated let it be already when All rebellion will be done away with. That's why the beast, the false prophets, Satan is thrown into the lake of fire. There's one more enemy. It's lost man that's rejected Christ. They will face God. They'll be thrown into the lake of fire and then heaven will be heaven. Then the new heavens and new earth because the rebellion's over. The kingdom of God has come to fruition. There is no rebellion anymore. Every knee will bow at the name of Jesus Christ on that day. Even those who are on their way to hell, they will confess that Christ is right and that they were wrong in their rebellion and wanting to be king of their own life. So Christians are waiting people. Hebrews 9, 28. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, the reason why Jesus came, if you've never understood this, Jesus took on flesh, the Son of God, took on flesh, lived 33 years of a perfect life to be a perfect sacrifice so that when he went to the cross... God put your sin on him and God poured out his wrath on Christ so that your sins could be forgiven. That's why he came the first time. But he'll appear a second time not to bear the sins of many, but to de- but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. See, this is in... This is the way God describes Christians. Jesus shows up. Well, who are you going after? Who's your people, Jesus? Those who are eagerly waiting for me. Those whose hearts have been praying, whose lives have been living. let Let you reign in my heart. That's who he's coming for. Those who are eagerly waiting for him. They even put that adjective in there. Because those who have the Holy Spirit inside them start to lose taste for this world that's passing away. The taste buds of the heart just can't be satisfied anymore. And we long for the kingdom that's guaranteed to come in the resurrected Savior, but is yet, not yet here. And so we wait for Him. The kingdom of God is the believer's first priority. The believer's main goal in life is that God's name be hallowed, be glorified, and that his kingdom come. Jesus taught this. He says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. He gives you your first priority. No wonder when he says, here's how you pray, the flavor of our prayer is your kingdom come. It's the first thing. It's our main goal. It's what eternity. It's the goal of uh, the end of, of all things in eternity. So, we need to pray asking God for the fulfillment of God's redemptive reign uh, in the salvation of souls, in our sanctification, in our other sanctification, and in the second coming of Christ. Second, I want you to leave with, for whatever reason, the word zoom stuck in my mind all week long. And I want to explain it to you. Point two in your notes is the eyes of your prayers must zoom up, zoom out, and zoom forward. All right? So Tuesday morning, you're thinking, what was the sermon about? You might be able to remember Zoom. And if you can attach it to up, out, and forward, I think you'll be helped. Uh, the direction, so the idea in the eyes of our prayers. So I, I sat there for a, a while trying to figure out what term do I use to describe The direction of our prayer. So I came up with a bunch of them. So the direction of our prayers or the flavor of our prayers or the attitude of our prayers or the character, the quality, the feeling, the atmosphere of our prayer, the aura of our prayers, the mood of our prayer, the tone of our prayers, the tenor of our prayers, the vibe of our prayers, the spirit, the essence, the nature is given to us by Christ when he says, pray like this. Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. We're given the all those words of our prayer. I could not land on one, but you get the idea. The attitude of our prayers. The character of our prayers ought to be such that we zoom up, we zoom out, we zoom forward. Let me explain. What do I mean by zoom up? Imagine it like this. You're going to pray, and the eyes of your heart need to be like this. Your gaze needs to be up. And if we're honest, usually we're tempted to pray like this. Here's my immediate circumstance, which seems colossal and impossible and horrible. But there's this up. Oh, what's the purpose of your life? Glorify Him. So, all right, you're struggling. You got a difficult circumstance that you're praying about. How ought I pray about it? You ought to pray about it like this God. In this difficult circumstance, may your name be glorified and not mine. May you get glory and honor, and may your kingdom come in this circumstance, your will be done. Thy kingdom come, Matthew says, your will be done. This is how all of our prayers ought to be be This ought to be the flavor of all of our prayers. It kind of sets our head up because we remember we're most happy when we're not being glorified, but when God is being glorified, because that's what we're created for. There will be no mirrors in heaven, John Piper says, because in his glory, you'll forget about yourself perfectly. You will just worship Him. And Piper says, the reason why people love the Grand Canyon is because as they stand there, that huge, magnificent canyon makes them feel small and we're made for glory. We're made to see glory, not to be the focus. Your most miserable moments are when you're looking at the mirror of yourself and you're only seeing you in your circumstances. So look up that God be glorified. That's the purpose of your life. James 4 says, What causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this? The Bible answers this question. Every fight in marriage is answered right here. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel, You do not have because you do not ask, and you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of this world makes himself an enemy of God. He says when you pray, you don't receive because you're not praying for God's will and God's glory but you're praying that you get your own selfish glory in your own selfish circumstances so that you can get what you think you deserve. You see, we can pray wrongly. What is Zoom? One more on Zoom up. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above and not on things on earth. There's the tilting up. What's zoom out? So zoom up means vertical. Zoom out means zoom out and get perspective when you pray. If we're honest, we can forget that our lives are about the glory of God and the only thing we can see is our own glory and our own circumstances and our own selfishness. And we forget When we're zoomed up, God's love for us. You see, when you zoom out, you see the cross. You see the rebellion of man and Adam. Then you see God loving us in the cross. And then your prayers aren't going to be accusatory of God that He's not good to you because you got good perspective you realize that easy circumstances are not the way that God shows love to you. In fact, Jesus promised in this world you'll have trials, troubles, and tribulations, but take heart, I've overcome the world. I'm king. And so we zoom out and gain proper perspective. Uh, Now imagine the opposite. You, You zoom down and then you zoom in. And now that's when our prayers aren't with thanksgiving. Every time Paul says to pray, he says, Pray with thanksgiving. Rejoice always. Again, I say rejoice. Do not be anxious about anything. Always pray with thanksgiving. Well, the only way you'll ever do that is if you remember to look up and you remember to zoom out and get perspective on your life. And then finally, um, zoom forward. The Christian's ultimate goal, ultimate prize is when Christ returns. That's what we can't wait for. That's what we're longing for. So there's a sense that, yes, when we zoom out, we have to remember the cross. I'm not saying we never look back, but we never look back while we're looking down saying, God ripped me off here, He ripped me off here, He ripped me off here. No, what we do is we zoom our head up and we say, look at the mercy of God that He sent His Son to die for sinners. See the cross. But then the direction of our life is forward. That we might be sanctified, that God might reign in our life more. Listen to Paul in Philippians 3. Not that I've already obtained Or I'm already perfect, already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Jesus Christ has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You see, that's why I think it's biblical. You see the upward call. You see the thrust uh, forward uh, in it. You see the proper perspective that Paul has. The eyes of our prayers must be zoomed out, zoomed up and zoomed forward in faith, waiting for the promises of Christ to be fulfilled in us. If you really believe God is worthy and good, then this will be the main drive and flavor of your prayers. See, this is why we have to be in the scripture. We have to remember that he is worthy, that he is king and we are not. My prayer is there's no one here that does not, has not submitted to Christ as Lord. Coming to Christ is not easy. It is true that you don't earn your salvation by good works. But anyone who said that salvation is easy or is as simple as saying a few words is lying to you. That's not a true uh, statement at all. In fact, we're told that we need to press in to the kingdom of God that... uh, Luke 16, 16, he says, the law and prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom is preached and everyone forces his way into it. George Mueller says, there was a day when I died. Died to self, died to my opinions, died to my preferences, my tastes and my will. Died to the world Died to the world's approval or its censure. Died to the approval or blame of even my brethren or friends. Since then, I've studied only to show myself approved unto God. Becoming a Christian means there's one audience. I want to glorify him. But there's a freedom because we don't have to defend our name anymore. A Christian is the one person that ought not be afraid of accusations. Because if they're true, we can say, I'm sinful. My only hope is in my Christ, who is not sin. He's who I submit my life to. My prayer is that you know that's your only hope. You will face God Christ will return and there will be a judgment. There will be those who have the blood of Christ covering them, the robe of his righteousness around them, and they will get to enter his kingdom forever with eternal bodies that will never die, worshiping him. And then there will be those that have eternal bodies that will last forever under the wrath of God in hell. And I plead that you might trust him I want to end this sermon with a Puritan prayer that fulfills, uh, that encompasses, has the flavor that uh, I've been talking about. This is from the book Valley of Vision. This particular Puritan said, Help me, I am so slow to learn, I am so prone to forget, so weak to climb. I'm in the foothills, when should I be on the heights? I am pained by my graceless heart, by my prayerless days, my poverty of love, my sloth in, in the heavenly race, my sullied conscience, conscience, my wasted hours, my unspent opportunities. I am blind while the light shines around me, take the scales from my eyes, grind to dust the evil heart of unbelief, Take my chiefest joy to study thee, or make it my chiefest joy to study thee. Meditate on thee, gaze on thee, sit like Mary at thy feet, and lean on John, or lean like John on thy breast. Appeal like Peter to thy love, and count like Paul all things dung. Give me increase in progress and grace, so that there might... May be more decision in my character, more vigor in my purposes, more elevation in my life, more fervor in my devotion, more consistency in my zeal, as I've positioned in the world, keep, as, as I have a position in the world, keep me from making the world my position. May I never seek in the creature what can only be found in the Creator. let not faith cease from seeking thee until it vanishes into sight ride forth in me thou king of kings and lord of lords that I may live victoriously that in victory attain my end thy main plan in thy end of thy will is to make Christ glorious and beloved in heaven where he is now ascended where one day all elect will behold his glory and love and glorify him forever there Though here I love him but little, may this be my portion at last. In this world thou hast given me a beginning. One day it'll be perfected in the realm above. Thou hast helped me see and know Christ though obscurely. Take him and receive him, possess him, love him, and to bless him in my heart. Mouth and life, let me study and stand for discipline in all the ways of worship by the love for Christ and to show my thankfulness to seek and to know His will uh, uh, from love and to hold it in love and to daily care for and keep this state of heart. Thou hast led me to place all my nature and happiness in oneness with Christ and having heart and mind centered on Him and being like Him and communicating good to others. This is my heaven on earth, but I need the force, energy, and impulse of Thy Spirit to carry me on the way to Jerusalem. Here it is my duty to be as Christ in the world, to do what He would do, to live as He would live, to walk in love and meekness. Then would He be known then would I have peace and death. It is the flame of my life to worship thee. Crown the crown and glory of my soul to adore thee. Heavenly pleasures to approach thee. Give me power by thy spirit. Help me worship now that I might forget the world. Be brought into the fullness of life. Be refreshed, comforted, and blessed. Give me knowledge of thy goodness that I might not be overawed by thy greatness. Give me Jesus, Son of Man, Son of God, that I might not be terrified, that I be drawn near with filial love and holy boldness. He is my mediator, my brother, and my interpreter, my branch, my daysman, Lamb, and I glorify Him. In Him I am set on high. Crowns to give I have none, but Thou hast given, but Thou hast given, I return, content to feel that everything is mine when thine, and more fully mine when I've yielded it to thee. Let me live wholly to my Savior, free from distractions, from carking care, from hindrances to pursuit of the narrow way. I am pardoned through the blood of Jesus. Give me now a sense of it. Continue to pardon me by it. May I come every every day to the fountain and every day be washed anew that I might worship thee always in spirit and truth. Amen.